Would you take your Bibles in hand, please, and turn to Psalm 126? Psalms is about in the very middle of the Bible, so if you were to hold your Bible up with the pages up, cut it right about in half, and you should open up, it should fall open to the Psalms. If you don't know where to find it, please check the table of contents. Psalm 126 is known as a community lament. We're not sure what event this psalm is lamenting. Uh, The psalm does not tell us what particular crisis is in view here when he writes. It simply recalls a previous time of God's mercy upon his people. And then it goes on to ask God for a fresh demonstration of that mercy, a fresh application or outpouring of the mercy of God. And it begins with the psalmist remembering the past as the first section of the psalm, remembering the past. And he writes in verse 1, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. So the psalm opens with the, the writer remembering a time in history, when the Lord was particularly uh, gracious and particularly merciful to his people. He is that all the time, but the psalmist is remembering a a specific time in history when the Lord was very gracious and merciful to his people. And I'm wondering, can you you think of a time like that in in your life, in your family? Of course, you can. A time when God was especially compassionate, especially generous or forgiving. And so the psalmist recalls this past mercy and favor of God in a time of crisis. The mercy of God, the kindness of God, the the goodness of God was so great, they they could hardly believe it. The psalmist said, we were like those who dream. It was like... Things were so good. God was, God was so real to us. He was so, so gracious to us. It was, like, it was like living in a dream. Maybe you've had moments like that in your walk with God. This is just too good to be true. I had a day like that not too long ago. And I, I think uh, in the course of 24 hours, I had three or four emails and a couple of phone calls from people in the gathering who just wanted to, to bless the gathering and give something more than they'd already given to the uh, renovations at 1821 Provincial. It's like, I said to Patty, it's like I want to say, Lord, turn it off. It's too much blessing. I can't can't contain it all. Well, that's that's kind of what's in in, in mind here, I think. And, you know, as we look back on the last 18 months of our lives together, our journey has, our journey with the gathering in particular has been a tremendous source of blessing and... uh, We can hardly believe all the great things that God has done for us and for our family and especially for the gathering. It's uh, it's been really one of those seasons of our lives where we've just gone, oh God, in the midst of all of the disappointment and pain, uh, you brought such blessing. We're we're like people who, who are living in a dream. But the difference is we, we dreamed together with you, right? We dreamed together, didn't we? He restored our fortunes. In a very real sense, I, I believe, I think that, that what we have now is even better than what we had before. I really do. God gave us more. 
Then our mouth was filled with laughter, verse 2, and our tongue with shouts of joy. I mean, what else can we do but praise God and sing about His grace? He filled our mouths with laughter at a time when we thought we might never laugh again. We were just so broken and so disappointed. But God restored the fortunes of this fledgling congregation and filled our mouths with laughter and gave us shouts of joy. Yoo! And we declared his praises. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Wow. You see, Israel was, was called by God to, to be God's living testimony in the land to the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and all the otherites that were there. Israel was to be a testimony of God's faithfulness in the land, right? That's what they were planted in the land of Canaan to do, uh, to assure the other nations that the, the God of this nation, the nation of Israel, was really the God of heaven and earth. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is the creator, the maker of every good design. He is the king of kings. And sometimes that testimony would, would come to the nations through the uh, timely discipline of the nation of Israel when they were disobedient or when they walked away from the Lord, or when one king or another decided not to live as his father had lived and take the nation into, into spiritual bondage again. And so God would chastise them, and he would bring some form of judgment upon them to, to draw them back. So even through that testimony, the nation was a testimony to the nations of the power of God. Sometimes this testimony would be through Israel's faithfulness to the word. And then God would abundantly bless them and take them into a land flowing with milk and honey and, and add, to their, add to their fruitfulness day after day. And so that's why they could say, the Lord has done great things for them, those Israelites. Wow, the Lord has blessed them abundantly. And so when, when people speak about the, the gathering now and in the days ahead, in the future, I really hope that they will say, wow, the Lord has done great things for them. Amen? Because He has. He has done great things for us. They won't say that if we take all the credit. In fact, I think those great things will, will soon dry up and blow away if we take the credit. But we're trying not to take the credit. We're trying to say, the Lord has done this for us so that everyone else will say, the Lord has done great things for them. Look at that. I mean, that's amazing. Some of my new church planting buddies can hardly believe what's happening with the gathering. The Lord has done great things for them. So I hope the testimony of God's faithfulness will be heard all throughout Windsor, Essex, and Detroit, and beyond, and that it will be this. The Lord has done great things for them. And that He will be exalted. His name will be made more famous, not us. So we'd like to take some time this morning just to, to give a testimony to what God has done for us over the last 17 or 18 months that we have been together. And, um... uh, yeah, thank you. Dear. Let's take a moment just to pray and give thanks to the Lord. Father, here we are 
the gathering family bowed in your presence. And we do, we, we, we bow before you, Lord, to give thanks to you. And may the city and may the county around us declare the Lord has done great things for them. Because we close this morning. I've given it the title, Yearning for the Future. Remembering the past and yearning for the future. The Lord has done great things for us, the psalmist wrote. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. So the words in verse 1 of Psalm 126 now become a prayer. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Show us, Lord. Show us mercy like you've never done in the past. As we move on from here, Lord, may your mercy and grace and favor be upon us. May your spirit flow into our lives like streams flow in the Negev desert. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad and we've given testimony to him and given thanks for his goodness. But you know, yesterday is not sufficient for today. And today is not enough for tomorrow. We need the fresh visitation of God every day. We need God to show up with fresh wind and fresh fire every single Sunday morning. We can't rest on the laurels of the past. We can't resurrect an old order of service and expect it to have the same impact and the same power and the same anointing that it had six months ago. Every day is a fresh day. So we need to keep looking ahead. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. We're yearning for more of you. More power. More blessing. More conversions. More baptism. More obedience. More of you in our lives. That's what we're yearning for in the future. We want more of Him. Verse 5 goes on to say, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. What a, what a promise that is. What an amazing picture. See, Israel's life in the land was intended to show the faithfulness of God. And it, it, Israel's life in the land was intended to show that a new Eden, a new Eden, a new garden of Eden, in, in a sense, had been formed there because God was present with His people. And so agricultural faithfulness then would be tied to the active uh, faithfulness and obedience of the people of God. So if they didn't sow their fields, there, there wasn't going to be any harvest. Plain and simple. The work sometimes is so difficult that it makes you weep. But boy, oh boy, shouts of joy come at harvest time. And, and so it's kind of short-term pain for long-term gain. You know, some of the guys at our, at our gym wear these t-shirts. No pain, no gain. <laughs> we know about that. But, and the application to our church is just so obvious that I, I hesitate to make the transition. It's so obvious. Those who sow in tears, those who labor hard over the word to preach and teach for us, those who work with children, those who lead our students, those who share their faith, give sacrificially and open their homes for hospitality and lead in worship, those who usher and greet and count the offering and do the sound and paint the walls and build the stage and vacuum the floors, those who make coffee and care for babies and love the aged and pray for missionaries, 
those who bring meals to the sick and those who meet for prayer and those who prepare communion, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. If you think this is good, just wait. The best is yet to come. Lord, we're yearning for your blessing for the future of your church. And and many times what we do, we do in tears. We we serve with with tears of of passion and and commitment and dedication and and many times sacrifice because we don't have time and we can't afford it and it takes us away from our families and, and, and. So we sow in tears. But man, at harvest time, there will be shouts of joy. And we're experiencing some of that these days. Look at verse 6. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And I want to declare this morning, my friends and my family, God himself is our reward. If there was no fruitfulness, if there was no harvest in our lifetime, it would still be good. Because God is good and he himself is our reward. A number of years ago, Patty and I had a chance to visit in, in the Middle East, and I spoke at a conference there, and there was an elderly couple who were on the last, they were in the last um, stint of their journey as missionaries among uh, Arabic-speaking peoples and people of another major faith orientation in the world, another world religion. And they had served their entire adult lives from the time they graduated from Bible college until retirement, and they had not seen a single convert for Jesus. But God was their reward. He was enough. He was enough. He always has been, and He always will be enough for us. But Psalm 126 seems to indicate that if we are faithful to sow the seed, there will be a joyful harvest. Amen? And and so I'm asking God for many more people to come to faith through the gathering and its ministries in the year ahead, that we we might be among those who come home with shouts of joy, bringing our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers and fellow students with us. Come home. Come home to Jesus. So I'm asking Jesus to do whatever it takes (laughs) to make His name more famous in our city in the year ahead. You join me in that? Will you pray with me about that? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we pray indeed that you will make Jesus even more famous among us than he already is. Amen.